0: specifically kind of centered in on verses 12 through 14 where paul writing to the philippian church says that his imprisonment had really served to advance the gospel and so the title of the message last week was our core purpose advancing the gospel that's what it's really about folks Today's, uh, in today's society and the way things are taught today across much of our beautiful country, they would make you think that, first off, that God is this puny little God that would just be in awful shape if it were not for you. And that without you, He is just going to be not complete. When that couldn't be further from the truth. I love our Wednesday night series that Brother Kevin is leading. I say Brothers Kevin's leading. Last week, he sent me a text afterwards saying, hey, thanks for helping me tag team uh, that topic. And I think that was code word for next time. Can you shut up a little bit? Uh, Because it was Kevin's Bible study to do, but I just kept overflowing. I couldn't help it. I've heard some preachers say that the best preaching just comes out of an overflow of worship. And I will tell you that I've studied for every message that I've delivered. At least I, I want to think I have. I can say sometimes I've preached a, a message or two and I'd be like, probably should have probably studied that a little bit longer. Or probably should have rethought that a little bit. Or then sometimes, where did I even come up with that? So this past week, I had some people text me a, a pistol because I, I said, I don't even know what an epistle is. I know what a pistol is, right? And uh, so I, I'm just so thankful for the brotherhood that I have that God has given me. By the way, speaking of brotherhood, I got to talk to John McNay last night for about an hour and 20 minutes, and it was an hour 20 minutes of delight. Things are not easy for them out there right now, just like they're not easy for us here either, but God is good. Amen? He is absolutely wonderful. And so last week, we kind of went over the background of the book of Philippians, and I want you to turn this morning to the book of Philippians. I know what you're thinking. There's actually another sermon in there somewhere? Oh, there's there's many. Matter of fact, the book of Philippians is very rich with quotes that you probably know very well. Quotes like, he who began a good work in you will perfect it uh, until the day of Jesus Christ. Quotes like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Quotes like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or quotes like, I have learned in all things how to be content. Some wonderful, wonderful quotes just out of this, this book of Philippians. It's only four chapters long. But I want you to remember that this is a letter that's been written, and I've been reading through the, the what most people will call the pastoral letters of Paul or the, the Pauline letters. I don't know, I think theologians tried to think of the most confusing names they can come up with for a group of books in the Bible. Right? But I call it the books that Paul wrote. How about that? That's easy to remember. But I'm going through a lot of these pastoral letters, and remember that uh, letters like Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Corinthians are all written to churches. That's important, by the way, they're all letters written to churches. And when those letters would reach the church, they would also, a lot of times in Paul's letters, he would say, also share with the brothers and sisters, like in this case, with those who are at Laodicea and Colossae, two other places where churches were started as a result of the work that's been done here in Philippi. And that's important because we have a lot of people today that say they don't even need church. The church is not necessary. I don't need church to be a Christian. Well, I can tell you this, true Christians go to church. Amen? True Christians go to church. Why? Because the Scripture tells us to to begin with. Secondly, as God promised His presence if we'd come together in His name? By the way, if you'd have been living back in these days, you wouldn't have known this letter to Philippians had you not gone to church to listen to it read. Amen? He said, read it to the church. And when they would gather together, they would, I'm sure they would unroll. They were kind of, most of the times back in those days, they were written kind of like and put into a, like a scroll and carried that way. And they would get there and, then, and they would gather in the name of Jesus. But they would unroll that scroll and, and, and listen intently to what Paul, one of the great pastors said would write to them. Sometimes Paul in his letters to the churches, sometimes he would chastise them, as a good pastor will do from time to time. Sometimes it is necessary to rebuke a situation or a group of people who are maybe living outside of the will of God or causing chaos in the church. Now, I started a message from Acts chapter 2 that I haven't finished yet. I haven't forgotten Trust me, a pastor don't forget those kind of things. I might forget a lot of stuff like your birthdays or where you're at or sometimes even your name because that's just the way I roll. That's why I call Sal, Hun, sweetheart, babe, something. One of them will stick because sometimes I just, Sal just doesn't roll, I just can't remember. I kid by that way. By the way, she's my gal, Sal, in case you all don't really know. That's what, that's what all the... Valentine's Day cards used to say to my gal, Sal. Pretty cool, ain't it? So as I I told you that all this started, uh, that message I did last week, it was all precipitated from me reading through these pastoral letters. And instead of studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I went back and started reading them as letters. Remember when it was written, they didn't have, they didn't open the scroll and go to the church at Philippi The letter that Paul wrote, chapter 2, verse 1. It was just written as a letter. There would have been paragraphs. You know, when you change a thought or an idea, you change paragraphs. That's what we were taught in English. I was awake for part of that class. Now, don't get me into dangling participles and stuff because I can't remember none of that stuff. But I know the basics, nouns, pronouns, verbs, adverbs, and all that stuff. And so this was written as a letter. And so last week we kind of covered the beginning of the letter. I kind of went back to verse 1 and read through it. But then we kind of really looked at, you know, uh, verses 12 through 14 were kind of where we stayed. But remember, just just to recall from last week, that Paul is writing this from prison. Paul has appealed to Caesar. Paul has been before Agrippa, Felix, and he's appealed to Caesar. Matter of fact, I think it was Agrippa, if I don't... might want to go back and read this for yourself in the book of Acts. But I believe it was Agrippa that said that he really couldn't find any fault in him. And had you not appealed to Caesar... Had you not appealed to Caesar, then I could have let you go. But since you appealed to Caesar, I have no choice. But the reason that Paul appealed to Caesar is because that's what God wanted Matter of fact, when Paul was shipwrecked, remember that God told Paul and an angel come to him, I believe in a vision, if I remember correctly, uh, and told him that, listen, that there's no, no harm come to you because you have an appointment in Rome. I want you there. You'll make it through this. And remember during that shipwreck, they all listened to Paul and all their lives were spared. For 14 days, they were on a boat and did not eat. Can you imagine 14 days? Listen, I went on a diet once. It was the scariest 14 minutes of my life. You know what I'm saying? 14 days without food, and finally told, Paul said, take heart and take something to eat. And when they had all ate something, they threw the rest of it overboard. 14 days they rode against the storm with no success. But God led them. Their ship may have broke up, but they all got to shore safely, all 276 of them. Paul's seen some rough times. See, all that's important to this letter at Philippi, because Paul says some things in this letter. Paul says some things that are very significant to us, if we understand the background. But see, if we're reading this letter to the Philippian church and thinking about things like they are today, when the simple fact is, we we talk about how tough times are, but uh, every time I go by the Outback Steakhouse, it's still got a bunch of cars there. Have you ever noticed that? Olive Garden still got cars there. I mean, there's there are a lot of people who are doing just fine. we got clean water. we got a warm place to stay and a roof over our head. we got all the things we need and more. We don't just have one mode of transportation. We have several. By the way, I was talking to Brother John yesterday. I said, you know, it's kind of weird. Some of the guys at work kind of tease me a little bit. Say, Huff, you're the only guy we know that don't have a house but own two campers. I said, well, I'm rich. Because I count that as two vacation homes. I have my own Mara Largo. (laughs) We named her Genevieve (laughs) though. And she's got six tires and she's warm inside right now. We have it better than most. You see, Paul had faced a lot of hardship, and now he's chained to a Roman soldier. Under guard 24 7. Paul is going to be going before Caesar. The Caesar of that day was Nero. He was the emperor. He was, he was a bad man. Paul knows that he's likely going to be facing a death sentence because many other Christians have been killed for their faith. So here's Paul who's been through a, he's been beat and left for dead. He was given 40 lashes, save one, I think a couple different times. They've had to get him out of the city and lower him down, you know, outside wall in a basket to save his life. you imagine being stoned and left for dead, thinking you were dead? I mean, think about how broke up his body must be at this point. And then Paul says that he had a thorn in the flesh, but he prayed that God would remove it. He prayed three times and God said no. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. In other words, I'll give you the strength you need. You may think that you need to get physically better, but there's a purpose in your pain. There's a reason that it's there. and You're just going to have to trust me on this. That's a hard thing to stomach. I know. I've been through someone who's lived with chronic pain for a long time. I've tried all the medicines. Like to kill me once. Taking stuff that was way too harsh, shouldn't have been on it. Didn't know. Then I went off of it. Well, I learned a lot through that time, though. That time is not without purpose. I look back on those moments and I'm like, how did I survive that But I did with God's help? And so here's Paul near the end of his life, chained to a soldier on guard 24-7. He has been given liberty to stay in a house of a friend and be under house arrest, but he's got a Roman guard with him at all times. And Paul is spending his last moments not complaining, not wishing, not asking people to to pray in such a way that his life would be spared. He's not asking for any of that. And this letter is going to show us that today, and that's what I want to look at. So I told Kevin, I'm going going different today sans notes no notes a lot of people talk about the preaching bible and this is i would say this is my favorite bible but this is like the fifth or sixth one of these i've owned because every time somebody says they don't have a bible i just end up giving them this one that's why i don't get real attached i'm attached to god's word but i have a bible that was given to me when i announced my calling to preach it was given to me by my mother and my father it's got my name on it. Reverend Thomas Hoffmaster II. That sounds regal, doesn't it? Huh? The second. <laughs> sounds good. Especially so if you say my whole name. Reverend Thomas Wesley Hoffmaster II. Yes. It even sounds a little Methodist. Wesley, got Wesley in there. Right? Got a little John Calvin, Jacob Arminius with the German Hoffmaster. Right? Little Diedrich Bonhoeffer in there. All the greats. God has truly blessed me. Even with a name that nobody uses. <laughs> Occasionally i answer the phone just to, just to get a rise out of somebody. I'll be like, York Tech Support, this is Tom. And it would be usually something followed by a hoot, a blankety-blank is Tom. Oh, it's tough. Oh, whew, scared me there. And didn't know where I was calling. God has truly blessed me. And we'll see here that Paul is truly blessed. And it's with this reminder of all the hardship Paul has faced that we read this letter so that you have the proper context. Because context, in many cases of understanding the gravity of the Scripture, context, context, that's, that's what Todd Friel says, context, context, context. And so we ended kind of last week, verse 17 and 18. 17 and 18, after Paul talked about being in prison, has served to advance the gospel, and that he thanks God for it, he goes on to say that there are some people that are preaching um, sincerely, and some people are, are preaching out of you know uh, envy or rivalry, Now that Paul's locked up and can't travel, now that they have more opportunity, Paul basically says, he says, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul says, I don't care what the reason, if the truth of Christ is being told, then I'm okay with it. And so it's there that we pick up at the end of that, and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. So let's pick up today, verse 19, chapter 1. And we're just going to go through this letter of Philippians as far as we can get today. Um, When I, the first person that goes to, well, no, the third person that goes to sleep, I'll know it's time to stop. And kids don't count, only adults. In this particular case, kids do matter. Jesus said they did. So let's first, let's pick up at verse 19. And so I don't know if you've ever read a Bible commentary, but this is, today's message is going to be like, Huff's commentary on this Philippian letter as God has spoke to me through my pain and through our family difficulties and through watching my beautiful wife go with her, she's going through. This is my commentary today on how the book of Philippians has helped me. Verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now I want you to, we're just, you know, again, we're just going to go down and I'm going to stop along the way. And before we go any further, when we see this, that it will turn out for my deliverance. When we think of deliverance, we think of the, well, he's going to be taken out of the situation and let out of prison and go back to doing the things he wants. But that's not what Paul was speaking of when he talks about his deliverance here. How do we know? Because he follows it up with saying that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, deliverance, amen, is going to come, right, to all of us. One of these days we'll be delivered from what Paul called this body of death. Paul said, and I forget which book it was, but he said, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death, this flesh that constantly fights against the spirit that is within me and the mind of Christ that I possess. Our body will fight us in these things, but listen, Paul is saying that I know deliverance is going to come, whether it be deliverance from this sentence in prison, or whether it be the. being delivered from the sentence of death that has been called upon me by the Roman government or be delivered from this complete body of death when I leave this walk of life and I go to be in the presence of Christ. Deliverance will come. We prayed for my mother when she was dying that she would be spared to have to go through that, and we prayed for healing. But listen, my friends, when I looked at her laying, she was laid out right here in front of this pulpit, right here in our church. And when I looked down upon her, I didn't see a failed prayer. I saw one that had been completely answered because her healing was not temporary. Her healing is forever. Amen. Because she is, as Paul would write in the very next verse, it says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Deliverance will come to each and every believer. Amen. We will have some small deliverances here on this earth, but the deliverance that we will ultimately get is when we are freed from this body of death. Paul said, this is going to turn out for my deliverance one way or another. What if we started praying like that? Instead of crying out in our own selfishness, constantly wanting God to move so that we don't have any discomfort, so we don't have to endure anything. By the way, I know some people, not only I'm not the only one that's had to deal with it in my life, I know some other people that have dealt with it so much worse than I, but yet I find that those people who deal with this constant pain and all these things are actually some of the strongest people we know. Why? Because they keep putting one foot in front of the other and know that God has a purpose. And as long as I'm here, I will do what I can. Paul's prayer is not crying out, please, 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 God, please, please, please let me out of here. It's no, God, I want to honor you, whether it be through my life or through my death. He wasn't anxious about the death sentence that was on his life. Instead, it was just a desire to fulfill God. In every way of his life, and that he prayed for the strength that his body would not fail him when it came time for his departure. He wanted to be strong until that axe was thrown. I saw some people give a testimony about going to Rome and visiting the prison there where Paul probably had spent some time, the best we can tell through church history. But they said that they didn't do the executions there. They said that they would take the prisoners out of town. You see, that was part of the shame of the sentence. Was they would take them outside. And they would walk them away. They said that a lot of times they would let family and friends gather for part of the journey. You see, the soldier would be led... And there would be a cart with the chopping block on the cart and the executioner's axe. And so the prisoner would have to walk behind it looking at the very instrument of execution that he was about to face. And he would just have to walk by that and be able to just stare at that chopping block. They said they would let friends and family go along the way for a part of the way. Then they would get to a point where the family and friends would have to stop. They said it was likely on the Ostean road that goes outside of Rome that they would have led Paul. And when we see Paul write the, the second letter to Timothy, he says that his departure is at hand. I've run my race, I've kept the faith. And there awaits for me a crown of Righteousness. He knew it was about time. But he said to, to bring my cloak and to bring the parchments, the writings. He also said to, to bring Mark. That was John Mark, who once, he, him and Barnabas parted ways over, but now they had, had restoration in a relationship. He says, bring Mark because he's beneficial for the ministry that others were trying to get to see him, and I I just wonder who might have been there. I'm sure probably Timothy would try to be there, Mark and, and some others that Paul had coached along the way. And I don't know how long they got to walk with Paul on that road, but I'm sure that Paul, it's just a few more moments. Just a few more steps, Paul, and it'll all be over. Just a, just a little bit more, Paul. You'll never feel the sting of the axe, Paul, because to be absent from the body, just like you wrote to the Philippian church, Paul, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Hang on, Paul. Be strong. Paul, it'll be just a few more moments and you'll see Jesus face to face the one who bled and died for you and you'll be with him forever, Paul. Just hang on a few more moments. It'll be all right. Paul said it's for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live is suffering. That's what he says to live as Christ. To live is to suffer as Christ said he would. To die is gain. It says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. My father once looked at me and says, you know, since your mother's gone, I've wanted to go too. He said, but part of me wants to be here for you and your sister and help you through things. But there's a part of me that's just ready to go. So I said, well, Dad, all that being said, when He comes for you, you just go. For to live is Christ. To live in suffering every day. But to die is gain. Christ is your Lord, just as He was Lord of Mom's life, and I know where you'll go when you leave here. So when He comes for you, don't resist. Go on home. Don't you see what that's what Paul is saying here? He's I'm torn because I want to be here for you, Church. I want to be here for you. I want to care for you. I want, I want, I want to help you along the way, and I, I want to make sure that you're taken care of and that you're all right. But There's part of me that just wants to go home. There's part of me that says, you know, I know how beautiful Christ is. He appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And I long to see him again. Paul says, I'm hard pressed between the two. In verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's really sharing his desire there. But in verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. He says, listen, let your manner of life Be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say live in such a way that you'll be worthy to receive Christ. Because you and I will never be that perfect. We'll never obtain perfection. But what he's saying is, let your manner of life live in such a way that the gospel of Christ will be proclaimed in how you live. Walk worthy of the name of Christian. He's saying live in such a way that is pleasing to Christ and so that others may see Christ in you. He's like, whether I can get to come see you or not, do this thing. He said, strive side by side in one mind. Church, do you hear that? In one mind. It's not about your way or my way. I know a church that was split down the middle over color of a carpet. And that ain't no joke. And then every time I tell that story, I find somebody else says, man, I got one just like it. Let me tell you, if a church splits over the color of the carpet, people ain't centered on Christ, I can tell you that. Because there are a lot of places where they ain't got no carpet. Matter of fact, they got a dirt floor, and they love Jesus. And there's no way that the suffering church, in a lot of other areas where it's illegal to serve Christ, that suffering church ain't a way they're going to allow something so stupid and so petty split them. No, that kind of foolishness happens in a place that seem to be too blessed for their own good. And I think sometimes that's what America exactly is. Blessed beyond our ability to handle it. You ever seen somebody that got too much money? I mean, Steve Harvey, he's a, he don't, don't go look him up on YouTube. There's some things he says that I love him to death, though he's hilarious. You know, the guy who does the Family Feud. Right, And there was one thing that he, he, had, he had done, a, a stand-up comedy, like an hour. Uh, and he said that it was the first time he ever did a whole hour without cussing. And so that's why I'm telling you, don't exactly go look up Steve Harvey because I said this. But in there, he talked about getting stupid money. He said, you know, if you got rich, all of a sudden you wouldn't know what to do with the money. He said, you'd be out there buying a giraffe but not even know how to care for it. You'd have it tied up to the tree just like you did your old dog. You ever seen people get stupid money? I mean, they get money and they never had money before. Be like the Beverly Hillbillies fishing in the cement pond. Y'all know what I'm saying? Just, listen, they some of us, and I say us, they some of us that just, it ain't good for us to be rich. Lord knows what I'd do. I'd probably do something so stupid. I'd be the only one out here with a Cadillac STS jacked up on a four-wheel drive frame with monster truck tires on it. Driving it down Charlestown with spinner rims or something. That's something stupid I'd do. I just know me. Yeah, God's got me right where he wants right where I need to be without any of that because I just wouldn't probably handle it too well. And I think sometimes that's what's happening in our country. We're blessed beyond our ability to understand it. And so we think that because we have all this stuff that God is pleased with us. When the scripture simply shows us very clearly that anything we put before him becomes our god and god will says that he will have no other gods before him so we are clearly shown in the scriptures where material blessings when we allow it to become our focus takes us away from what is right He says, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Think about what he's saying. He said, listen, when you don't fear your opponents, that's a sign to them of their destruction. In other words, when they can't take it away from you, the joy that you have, that's unspeakable and full of glory. When they realize that they can't take it away from you, that's when they realize they messed up. And see, that's what happened to the early church. You see, they couldn't silence Paul with beatings. They couldn't silence him with stonings. They couldn't silence him with imprisonment. And they couldn't silence the others either. I mean, what do they threaten them with? I'll take away all your stuff. I like Vadi Bokum. He talks about that. He's like, he did this whole thing, you know, kind of acting like he was Peter and John. And he's like, hang on a second. We'll take away all your stuff. Too late, already sold it and distributed it to the poor. Okay. Uh, we'll take your life. Go ahead. To live is Christ. To die is gain. When the world finally realizes that a true believer in Christ, there's nothing that they can take away from us that will rob us of our joy, that's when they'll see that there's something different. But as long as we allow things of this world to overtake us in anxiety and overtake us in worry, then it shows that we truly do not trust Jesus Christ. We have to truly be able to believe on Him and rest in Him in all things. Then they will know. He says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, it's been granted to you. Think about that. It's been granted. You don't grant something that's awful. You grant something that's good. It's been granted to you to suffer for the sake of Christ. There's been a lot of people out here suffer for other things. I know people that have worked long, hard hours, 10 and 12 hours a day, seven days a week to try to get something that the Bible's very clear is just going to burn up with fire when this world is over. And they'll, listen, they will, they will suffer For the sake of stuff, they'll suffer for getting ahead or getting a position, a lofty position that they want. He says, but it's been granted to you to suffer for the sake of Christ. In other words, it's been gifted to you. That almighty God, self-sufficient, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, will grant you a position in his family and allow you to suffer for his name. That's the way Paul viewed this. This is the way he saw it as he's writing from prison that has been granted to him. Not an albatross around his neck, but a glory that shines from within to the world to see that they cannot rob Paul of his joy with chains to a soldier, with beatings or threats on his life. But then Paul goes into on to now talk about Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. He's saying, listen, you've been granted to suffer for his sake. But just in case you're getting ahead of yourself or you're thinking a little too highly of yourself, I want you to consider Christ. So we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of, of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus he says your true ability to care about others is given to you through the indwelling of the holy spirit because this is the same mind that is in jesus matter of fact paul would write i believe to the ephesian church have this mind which is also have this mind in you which is also in jesus And he's saying here, listen, consider Jesus and how he walked. Because he goes on to say, Have this mind among yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, listen, God has granted to you to suffer for the sake of Christ, but just just in case you're thinking that you're too good for that, Consider Christ in the mind in which he possessed. That he esteemed the life of others as more significant, meaning that he allowed himself to be poured out on the cross so that you didn't have to and I didn't have to. Every scar, every wound that was laid upon him was laid upon him for me. And for you, that he thought being equal, God, not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, allowing himself to come down in servant form. The Bible says, matter of fact, in Isaiah said that he didn't have any form of comeliness. In other words, he didn't, there wasn't anything about Jesus that would make you look at him and be like, wow, look at him. I mean, you know, like what people say about me when I walk down the street, y'all know, wow, look at him, mm, mm, mm. That's what South is. I walk across the living room floor, she was like, hmm. I mean, you just can't get no hotter than this. I am the hot which all men and other women measure hotness. I'm the hotty hot. That's what South calls me. But Jesus didn't come to earth as a hottie, He didn't come to earth looking like Fabio. By the way, if I was, I'd come looking like Fabio. Shorter hair, but Fabio. By the way, I hope when we get to heaven, we get to pick what kind of hair we have. Because I'm going to be like that guy on, uh, uh, you know, the guy that says dynamite. Remember that guy, JJ? I'm going to be like JJ from that TV show. Right, moving on up to the east side. Oh, man, I'm going to have me a, oh, I'm talking big. That's what, kind of, that's what I want. When I, if we get to pick what kind of hair we're going to get when we get to heaven, I want a big old afro. I want one way out of here. I want to look like Meadowlark Lemon in the 70s. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm going to store stuff up there like he did in that cartoon. Remember, every time they needed a tool, Meadowlark Lemon had it in his head. That's what I want. Jesus didn't come to earth in a lofty position. He didn't come to earth as royalty. He came to earth born of a Virgin Mary who ended up being the talk of the town and to a carpenter named Joseph who were so poor that when it came time to make an offering for the birth of their firstborn son, they couldn't afford the offering, so they had to take the poor man's offering, which was two turtle doves. Jesus emptied himself. And he came as a servant. And so when Paul says that we've been granted, it's been granted to us that we may suffer for his name, we should take that as an honor. It's an honor, God, to live as your son Jesus lived as a servant. And that beautiful servant that he was, was obedient even to death on a cross. And it says that, but as he, became, as he was obedient to the point of death, even on a cross, but therefore God highly exalted him, and there is no under name on which man may be saved. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Then, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, in other words, seeing all that being said, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is our purpose for here? To bring pleasure to God and to bring Him glory and honor. When He says work out your own salvation, that doesn't mean that, well, me and God got our own plan. you got to work out your own plan. No, the plan of salvation has been said. This work out your own salvation, He says, listen, put it to work. Ask God what it is that He would have you to do. Right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. Work out your own salvation means... Work. It means don't sit on your butt. It's not just about coming to church on Sundays. If that's all you got, then maybe you ain't got it. Because the true love for Christ will compel us. It'll compel us to live for Him. And to work for Him and do things in His name. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God. Do things without grumbling or disputing, grumbling or disputing, grumbling or disputing, grumbling or disputing. Folks, do you get it? Do everything without grumbling. What do you like? What happens when your kids, kids grumble? Take out the trash. Oh, I really got really gotta take out the trash. Why, why, why? Yes, you got to take out the trash. This ain't Motel 6. You got to do some work around here. This ain't a hotel. Right? This this is, you got to work. You're part of a family in here. Family works together. This thing's got to be done. And if you're going to be a part of a family, then you better be a part of a family. If you want to live in a hotel, then I'm going to tell you what your rent's going to be. And if you don't do some of the things you need to do after yourself, then I'm going to jack your rent up. And if you don't pay that rent, you'll find yourself on the outside looking in. I'll change the locks while you're gone. You're going to come and your key won't work. You'll be knocking on the next door neighbor, God, stay with you. Can I live with you and not do anything but you feed me and give me a warm place? I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to have to do any kind of work. Will you just take care of me like I'm a little baby, please? That's what it sound like. Paul, writing from prison, chained to a Roman soldier, says, do all things without grumbling. Why? What would that soldier have thought about Paul's love for Christ if he had been grumbling about it? There was a song that Jeannie's cousin used to sing at church where I grew up. And the words went something like this, walk through this world with me, Jesus. And hold to my hand every day. For someone so dear may be watching, and I don't want to lead them astray. You see, the reason we got to live without grumbling is first off, grumbling, grumbling doesn't come from a thankful heart. And we're to have a thankful heart. Not just in November. We're to have a thankful heart. And a thankful heart doesn't grumble. A thankful heart is thankful. I met some folks yesterday. I was talking to them about food. What kind do you like? Any kind. Why? Why? Because when you're hungry, you're hungry. Anything is better than nothing. You know what I really despise sometimes is I watch people. I watch people complain about such small things. You ever watch them house shows where they go in there and they pick them houses apart? I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm like, look, that house is 10 times better than anything I ever lived in. And they pick it apart. I don't like that. That chair rail is just a little too high. The lighting in here doesn't, it messes up my aura. I don't feel any feng shui. What is wrong with people? Are we not thankful? to Have a roof over our head? You ever watch those people want to jump through the television and choke them out? I don't know if Jesus is happy with that with me or not, but I'd do it in his name though. be thankful. Makes me want to just drive old Genevieve past her house and lay on the air horn. I've learned how to be happy. Good luck, people. Makes me want to park in a lot right beside their house and drive the value of their house down. Y'all know what I'm saying? Just the way I see it. He's saying, don't be grumbling. Now listen to what he says, why? He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Twisted, crooked generation. That about sums it up these days, doesn't it? That we may live without grumbling so that we can be light to a crooked and twisted generation. If there's ever a time that I think I've saw the church fall flat on its face, and I'm not talking about you guys, I mean the American church in general, it's been through this last election cycle. I've never seen so many people say, if you support this and get out of my face, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. If that is not anti the gospel, then I don't know what is. You see, the, the generation that follows after their pursuits and their own heart are twisted and crooked. Why are we surprised when they support things that we don't? But does the scripture say that we shut them out and tell them we don't want to have no part of them? No, because you know what that says to them? It tells them that I see no value in you because you don't believe like I believe. We're enemies of the world. The Bible says that. But yet he, God wants us to live before this generation to show them the light of Christ. You can't show the light of Christ when you shut people out. I don't say that you embrace what they believe. I don't think you say, yeah, I believe that too. Rainbow's and unicorn's for everybody. I want some M&M's and some Skittles. Pass them all out. We're all M&M's for everybody. I think that's what they ought to give out instead of them checks that they give. Just give everybody Skittles and M&M's. It'll be good. You'll be broke and won't have a tooth left in your head, but hey, we'll be happy. I say that today because I broke a tooth yesterday. Have I ever done that? I keep getting less of them. I was like, man, whew, getting old stinks. It's tough. Think about what Paul's saying here. Let's not be surprised that the generation's crooked. And we ain't got to embrace and we ain't got to agree with what they say. We need to shine a light. We can't shine a light when we're telling people that they have no value. Instead, we say God has made you in his image. And even though you may not love him back, his love for you has not changed. And I will love you. And I will care about you. Even if you hate the very thing that I stand for. Even if you hate who I am, what I stand for, if I see you broke down along the road, I'm still going to stop and help you. Even if you stand for the very things that I detest, because the Bible says that God detests those things. Even if at your very core, you love all the things that God hates, you're still made in his image. And until you're gone from this world, there's still a chance. And you might be the one person that could win that other person. That's what he's saying here. Live in such a way from the, for, before the crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as the lights in the world. John MacArthur just delivered a message the other day. I was watching it online, and he said this that there, there's a, they did some studies, and it's showing that now 20 to 30 year olds have been turned off by the whole American church scene, right? Because it's, uh, it's been all about feeling and having an experience. Churches don't look like churches anymore. They want to have this experience. Matter of fact, he used to say, I love going to X, you know, whatever church, fill in the blank. I love going to this church because it doesn't feel like you've been to church. You know what they're finding out? That experience is shallow when you hit hardship. You see, when Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can tough times, can calamity, can those things separate you? It it wasn't a question of what would make God stop loving you. No, the question is to us. What could happen to you that would make you doubt that God loves you? That's what the question really is. What could come in your life that that would cause you to question whether God loves you or not? Would being financially broke, would that cause you to think that God doesn't love you? Would getting cancer cause you to think that God doesn't love you? Would losing someone you love make you think that God doesn't love you? These are the questions that people have today. You see, experience experience doesn't stand up to the smell test when calamity comes. Because when your heart is hurting... And when everything around you is falling apart i'm sorry walking in and hearing one of joel osteen's hey friend you just gotta you just gotta believe it away it'll go away it doesn't work health and wealth and prosperity gospel falls flat when calamity comes sad thing is is nobody's there to hold him accountable but god will you see, health and wealth will say, if, you're not, if you don't get healed, then, well, you did not have enough faith. When Paul says here, I'm going to be delivered. Whether it's out of prison, or whether it's through the executioner's block, I will be delivered. Imagine this Philippian church knowing that Christians are being killed for being Christians and how they must take this. You mean to tell me the very people who are causing us harm, you want me to love them and live as a light before them? Yes. There's a story of an early church pastor named Polycarp. The soldiers came to get Polycarp and to take him before the magistrate for preaching Jesus. And so when the soldiers knocked on the door it was almost dinner time. And when the soldiers knocked on the door Polycarp didn't run nor did he curse them nor did he spit in their face. He invited the soldiers in and asked them this, would you be so kind as to allow my wife to feed you a meal while I'll take a little more time to pray. And when you're done eating, I'll be ready to go. Let that sink in for a minute. Would you be so kind as to allow my wife to feed you a meal so that I could pray for strength. And then when it was time, Polycarp went without any hesitation, without making it hard on the soldiers. Why? Because that was his moment to show these soldiers that what I have, you cannot destroy. You see, if we really have Christ in our heart, then no matter what happens to the stock market, whether it crashes tomorrow and all of our property values sink, whatever happens, if we truly love Christ, then that is not the source of our joy. So whether it crashes or it goes sky high, my joy remains the same because it's not anchored in anything that has money on it it's not anchored in the value of my home it's not anchored into how much is in my 401k my hope is anchored in jesus christ and in him alone and that was the one moment that polycarp could show these soldiers that what he has they can't take Take this body if you must. I'll gladly give it to you. By the way, they executed Polycarp. They tied him to the stake to burn him to death. But church tradition recorded that as they stoked the fire up to burn Polycarp. He prayed for them. And a gust of wind come up and started to swirl around Polycarp so that the flames would not engulf him. They said he turned a bronze collar, but they couldn't kill him. And finally, a soldier had enough of hearing Polycarp pray and seeing what God was doing. He finally took a spear and thrust it through him and took his life that way. But flame did not take Polycarp that day. lives were changed that day watching Polycarp. Why? Because he lived his life as a light before a crooked and disgusting, twisted generation. This is what God is calling us to do. Now the rest of chapter two, Paul talks about Timothy and Aphrodite. And for sake of time, I want to just, I want to jump to chapter three And I just want to, I'm just going to read through it. I'm not going to give you near as much commentary. But he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. He was talking about the, those are the angry Jews. The spirit of glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church and to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I had worked myself up to a high lofty position. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was at the top of my game. But I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but of that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lies, what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in God, of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have Now think about that. I'm forgetting what lies behind. Boy, I don't know about you, but anybody ever have a past that just seems to be chained to your leg and you keep dragging it around? You know what Paul's saying? Forget it. Paul persecuted the church and killed people. He was the one that okayed the stoning of Stephen. He said, but forgetting what's behind me. I press forward, not only forgetting the bad things, but also I forget the good things I did as well. What does he mean by that? Listen, we lay treasures up in heaven. God will remember them. I don't need to go around patting myself on the chest. You remember what I did last year? Y'all remember how many people I helped last year? Y'all remember how many people we had in here? Remember that play that we wrote? Remember that? And how many people was there? Y'all remember that? Oh, that was good. You ever met one of those people who keeps walking around? sal and i watched a really dumb movie not too long ago because that's how what you do when you have snow days you watch stupid stuff and we watched this stupid movie uh on uh netflix and uh i can't remember what she called her daughter her daughter's name was willa dean on this movie uh and there was this mom who had a daughter that the mom was a, a, a beauty queen she had been a pageant winner 20 years before and still had the sash and the crown, and was just living in that moment. Everything was about pageants. And she called her daughter Butter or something, or not. I can't remember what she called her. Uh, huh? It wasn't Butter. It was anyway. She called her something like that, right? Butter or something or not. I don't know. Whatever she called her. Uh. But. Her daughter was like totally opposite her, but it was just it was just funny watching because you know what the, the show was. It was about people who live, you know, back in that moment. Like if you've ever watched, uh, um, it was a Friday Night Lights or one of them, where there was this boy who was been a high school quarterback, but now he's like married and got kids, but still wearing, still got his high school class ring on, still wearing that jacket, reliving those days because in his mind he's still that quarterback just keep living in that moment. Sometimes we think about when we keep our past and we keep remembering that. Sometimes we think about the bad things, but sometimes it's the good things that keep us from doing more good because we think somehow we've obtained something. And that's what Paul's writing here. He's like, I forget what lies behind me and I strain forward, not that I've already obtained it. So in other words, Paul's saying, there's not any one thing he looks back that has happened to him that gives him that aha moment. Okay, I've, now I'm complete. I don't need to do anything else for God. After the shipwreck, the shipwreck was it. That's it. I, that's, that was the crescendo of my life. The shipwreck, I survived. Okay, from here on out, I'm just going to coast. You ever met people that just can't stop living that one moment? Maybe, maybe that moment is a good moment. Maybe it was something great then. But there's still a lot of things left to do. Maybe God's got something even better for you. buttercup. (laughs) You, you got a gift, my friend. But then Paul says this thing that I thought made him the most, um, I thought Paul was conceited. Let's read it. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who is Paul to say, follow and imitate me? I used to think that was the most conceited thing I'd ever heard and why God let it be in the Bible I did not know. Paul is not writing from a conceited point of view. You know what Paul is writing from? A pastor's point of view that says this. I promise you that I'm going to live in a way that if you follow my lead, we'll all head toward Jesus Christ. Think about that. Can you look at your children in the eye and say, children, imitate me. I used to imitate my dad. Drove him crazy. My mom would get a kick out of it. My dad snored like I'm talking like nobody's business. And And when you know, and and my dad was getting already getting hard to hear because he worked sheet metal most of his life, and and so I would go around making fun of my dad, right, imitating him. Boy, if you don't stop! And sometimes you know our kids imitate us, and we'll get, you know, I don't really sound like that. Yeah, you do. Right? You ever watch a kid imitate you, like you yell like you yell, or say the things that you would say? Get off the furniture, you're going to break it down, that's what my dad used to say. Guess what I told my kids one time? Quit romping on the furniture, you're going to break it down. (gasps) I've become dad. Boy, that's a scary moment. But can we look at our children and say, sons, daughters, imitate me. Because what Paul is saying here is, I promise you that I'm going to walk in a way that Christ is my everything. So if you were to try to imitate me, you would also do the things of Christ. Parents, that's what needs to happen in our homes. That's what we need to be doing. We need to live in such a way that if they imitate our behavior, if they imitate our desire, if they imitate our language that it would all point toward Jesus. He says for many whom I've often told you now even with tears walk as enemies of the of the cross of Christ and their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things but we are citizens our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Then this is where he starts to close the letter. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. He goes on to say, I entreat Judea, y- 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 and I entreat whatever that other lady's name is. It starts with S. Uh, To agree in the Lord, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Think about that. Do not be anxious about anything. What does it say to an unbeliever when we get anxious about something? The world gets anxiety all the time. Anxiety is something we get when we live apart from Christ. Peace is something we get when we live in Christ. Now listen, we do live in a fleshly body and sometimes anxiety will come. I've had it too. But the deeper we get into Christ, the deeper we get in His Word, the less I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Content. Anybody know what that means? Content means to limit oneself to what is available. I mean, listen, it's hard to be content with a baked potato when there's M&Ms available. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to be content when we're looking at Things that are greater than the things that we have. But before Paul talked about being content, he says to do what? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about these things. You see, if I let my mind wander just for a little while, I'll start to think about what everybody else has and I don't. I'll start to think about what everybody else is getting. Or how things are going in other people's lives. I see other people who don't love Jesus, but they're walking around healthy. I see other people who don't love Jesus, and they got all kind of stuff. Stuff in itself is not evil, by the way. There's a lot of rich people in the Bible that love God. It's not a sin to have stuff. It's a sin to worship stuff. It's a sin to devote oneself to getting stuff instead of spreading the gospel. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Abraham, wealthy man. Job, wealthy man. David, wealthy. Solomon, very wealthy. Nothing wrong with stuff. It's when it becomes our focus to the tune that we cannot be content. You see, I can remember a time where I had a small house and I wanted a bigger house. Had a smaller truck, wanted a bigger truck. I got all those things. Problem is, there's always something bigger. There's always something better. Paul's saying, I learned how to be content. Even when I'm sitting in a rented house, chained to a Roman soldier. Maybe it's not prime rib. Maybe it's just beans and biscuits. Can you be content? Isn't it kind of odd that Paul's writing about being content when he's in prison? I mean, can you imagine going and interviewing somebody who's in prison for doing nothing more than loving Jesus? having been whipped, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, and getting ready to face execution. And he says, I have learned in all things to be content. Isn't that something? It convicts me. It convicts me. Because I've got more than I've ever deserved. But I'll be honest with you. I got this app called Reverb on my phone and on my iPad, and Reverb got all these guitars on there. I mean, like serious guitars. And I thought, boy, I wonder if I sound a little better playing a Colin. See, the one I was playing this morning, that's a $500 guitar. Collins is a $5,000 guitar. And I just thought, man, I could, Jesus. I could glorify God just a little bit better with that Collins. Don't you think? I've played a few. I didn't want to leave the store. They almost played themselves. That's why the professional guitar players sound so good. They, they buy such expensive guitars, they almost just play themselves. And I look on there, and my mouth starts to water a little bit. Sal's sounds like, what are you drooling over? A guitar. You see, I don't drool over the house stuff anymore. I've kind of gotten past that, but there's still things in my life that I'm like, you know what? I need to learn to be content. Paul said, "I I know how to abound, and I know how to be brought low. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, that's a verse we hear a lot of people use. And they use it in the wrong context because they're going out to do something they want to do. And they're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, when you are living content. Or when your desire is to be content. And then he says, yes, it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and in more, I am well supplied having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing unto God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Christ Jesus to our God and Father be the glory forever. Amen. By the way, a lot of times people say, my God will supply every need. Paul is writing that to a church who has sacrificially given for the advancement of the gospel. Think about that the next time you quote that verse. Then I love the ending. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember that? It was Caesar's emperor who's going to have Paul executed. But Paul said that my imprisonment has been for the advancement to the gospel, even to the point that those under Nero's, under Nero's leadership have given their hearts to Christ. Let's bow our heads today.